This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. This is the last episode before the new year. It's December the 31st, tomorrow, 2020. Pretty amazing. Here we are going into a new decade. What a blessing. And today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. We're going to bring Revelation to an end. We'll be done with these recordings, and we'll move on to some new things. We'll probably, I, I want to get back into talking about some things in the news. I I, I really needed to break from it. Uh, and if you've been you know, watching the news and listening to it, you, you probably understand why. I just had to disconnect from that and um, refocus a little bit. But next week, we're going to probably get into some things in the news and in between those things i'll be going through first john i have some new thoughts new things i want to try to do for the next year as well and we'll be we'll be talking about that as a as the time progress but let's jump right into it shall we revelation chapter 21 let's start by reading um well let's just read verse one and then i want to get into it then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. All right. The final spiritual abode is described for us in terms that we can understand. Okay? This is how you can't explain heaven, the reality of heaven, in earthly terms. This is the only way to do it is to put it in a way, in a physical way, that we can get and understand. Uh, the word "new" here in the Kone Greek is is in the sense that the old has become obsolete and should be replaced by what is new. In such a case, the new is as a rule superior. Uh, in kind to the old. Remember, this is a vision, and these are to be understood in a figurative way rather than a literal sense. In other words, this is not a renovation of the earth for this thousand-year reign of Christ. It's just not. It's not there in the Greek text. It's not. I'm, for those who may be thinking along that line, you have that expression. The new heaven and earth, that comes from Isaiah's terminology, from Isaiah 65, verse 17. That's where Isaiah was promising a new existence for the captives. It would be a change of existence for them, from captivity to restoration. Peter also picks up on this kind of language in 2 Peter 3, verse 13 indicating the end time and a new existence for Christians. John sees not a renovation of what now exists, but something entirely new. Why? The first earth is passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Maybe John sees the end of a third element of our physical existence here, 
heaven, earth, and the sea. Without these, there are, uh, there is no longer life as we presently know it. Now, just for your notes, uh, remember uh, some of these passages. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. That's where Paul teaches that the creation will be set free. In Matthew 5, verse 18, Jesus mentions heaven and earth passing away. Of course, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12 speaks of the destruction of the present heavens and the earth at the coming of Jesus. Also, Hebrews 12, verse 27, there the writer speaks of a removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things. Okay? So some of those things to study upon to if you, if you lean toward the idea that the earth will be restored for a thousand years for the Christ reign on earth, I, I don't buy into that. I don't see that in the text, and the text doesn't bear that out. So, you know, read through these things, think about that, and if you have any more questions, feel free to, to get a hold of me. All right, let's read verses, uh, let's read 2, 3, and 4. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Let's look at verse 2. John is seeing the new existence. It has its source in heaven where God dwells. The holy city, new Jerusalem, a bride. So it is a city or a bride or, or both. Uh, and neither. These are symbols of our new relationship. Jerusalem was the city of God's people, where God uh, uh, condescended to dwell among them in his temple. The people of God are symbolized as a bride of Christ. Remember, it's a vision. Uh, in verse 3, you got the tabernacle of God. It's among men. It reminds us of the days when God was said to be among his people in the tabernacle and in the temple. But here, John hears a voice, and it says, And God himself shall be among them, or will be among them, meaning that there is actual fellowship with him. We are looking at eternity. Now, I read a verse 4, but let me read verse 5 also, and he says there, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. So, the verse 4 where he says, no longer mourning or crying or pain, the hardships, the difficulties of our earthly existence, those, those things are gone. The first things, as he says, have passed away. That is, the physical life uh, that now content, confines us was never intended to last for eternity. It was given by God to determine who really wanted to be in fellowship with him forever. Our obedience in this first existence determines our eternal existence. Okay, these are the proving grounds. Is our, our, our faith genuine? Then there in verse 5, he who sits on the throne, God, he is confirming the reality of what John is seeing. There is a glorious existence ahead without the pain of this realm. God is bringing about something new for his people. Awesome. Verse 
6. Uh, let's do 6, 7, and 8. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, so it's done. And God's going to give to the one who thirsts life as we know it's over. But God offers something better. Eternal life. And who is it for? Those who overcome. Those who endure and remain faithful will inherit this new existence. Overcoming involves the blood of the Lamb. A word of their testimony and not loving life even to death from chapter 12. At verse 8, you have this list of... reflects those who rejected the ways of God during their earthly existence. And note again, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. We are looking at eternity here. Not a thousand years more on earth. This is eternity. Now, verses 9 to 27, um, I will try and read this. (laughs) I can't pronounce some of these gemstones. I should have gone through probably and made sure I got the pronunciations right, but I'll do my best. But let's read through that. This is a description of the Holy See. Remember, it's a vision. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit, to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall, with twelve gates, and at the gates gates twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel." There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city had... The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth uh, sardoxy, and the sixth sardis, and the seventh uh, chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth uh, cherosoph Chirosophis or something, sorry, the 11th uh, Jacinth and the 12th Amethyst and the 12th 
gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the lamp, Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verses 9 and 10. The angel says, I shall, or I will show you the bride. But he shows John the holy city. Interesting. The, they are the same. And they represent the people of God in eternity. Remember the gates are the, the 12 tribes. And then um, the, the foundations are the 12 apostles. Those represent the people of God in the Old Testament. The people of God in the New Testament. That's what it represents. And the glory of God from verse 11. Remember that the glory of God filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And Solomon's temple in 1 Kings 8. But only in a physical way. And then from there following are the descriptions of the city. We see whatever man considers to be of value and of beauty here on earth. Eternity will be greater than we can imagine. What we do not know or cannot imagine must be described in terms we do know. Earthly images are given so that we might have some concepts of what is to come. But these are only figures of the reality. I've divided some of uh, uh, exhaustive lists of what is described in these verse, uh, verses. You've got the costly stones, the jasper, the pure gold, the precious stones, the twelve pearls, the streets of gold, the kings of the earth bring their glory, the honor of the nations bring uh, 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 honor into it. That's beauty and value. The necessities of existence. There's no need for a temple. God has illumined it. There's no night. You got protection and security. That's the great high wall, the length, the width, and the height, the gates that never closed. And then you have the inhabitants, the twelve tribes, the twelve apostles, nothing unclean. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Man, isn't that where you want to live? That's where I want to live. That sounds fantastic. But it's also describing God's people. How precious are they? More precious than you could possibly imagine. What is God going to do for us? He's going to give us eternity with him. And that eternity is going to be great. Revelation chapter 22. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear, uh, sorry, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in, in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever 
and ever. These verses are associated with the description of chapter 21 of the, of the Lord's people in glory. The imagery is that of the original Garden of Eden. I like what Hendrickson does here in his commentary. He makes the, the, this comparison. He shows Genesis and Revelation side by side. In Genesis, God created heaven and earth. Revelation, you have a new heaven, a new earth. In Genesis, the luminaries are the sun and the moon, but in Revelation, the Lamb and God light the city. In Genesis, paradise lost. In Revelation, paradise restored. In Genesis, the craftiness of Satan and how he works. In Revelation, you have the end of Satan. In Genesis, man hiding from God, but in Revelation, man sees the face of God. In Genesis, the angel is guarding the tree of life, but in Revelation, you have free access to the tree of life. Homer Haley adds this. In Eden, there was a garden, a river, the tree of life, man's disobedience, and a separation from these, a curse pronounced on the serpent, the soil and indirectly upon man, for it brought death and separation from God. In the city of God, the eternal Eden of the redeemed, there is the river of water of life, the tree of life, the absence of a curse, and a perfect and full fellowship of the redeemed with God. What was lost in Eden is now fully restored. God's purpose is achieved. Verses 6 and 7. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Now the speaker, in verse 6, that's an angel. And Haley comments, in matters involving life and death, every word had to be established by two or more witnesses. God, the Father, through his angel, now gives witness to the divine origin of the visions. These words are faithful and true. They are reliable and genuine. And then you have the phrase, I am coming quickly. Whether this is the Father or Christ speaking, that's debated. The point is that it will happen quickly or swiftly. Blessed is he who, you know, hears or abides to these words. This is the sixth beatitude. The seventh is going to come in verse 14. And it repeats the sentiment found in chapter 1, verse 3. So these two things bookmarks the end, uh, uh, the, the book. Yeah, the beginning and the end. Now look at verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not, uh, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. So John also adds his testimony to the truthfulness of the record of what he saw and heard. He says he fell down and worshiped at the feet of the angel. He commits the same error as before from chapter 19. Kind of at a loss to explain this, except that given the same circumstances, don't you think you might do that? I mean, just see everything he has seen, and, and you just, you're excited. You fall down to worship, but yeah, you're, you know you're not supposed to do that. Sorry, I'm human, but man, how exciting. And it's good, you know, John's just admitting, look, I made a mistake again, but I was excited. That's the way I see this. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. 
verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So the a sealed book is an unreadable or perhaps unrevealed book. The book was to be sent out immediately because of the things revealed therein were about to take place, so its message was to be made known, and its warnings heeded, and Christians needed encouragement. They need this. Bad, so get this out there to them. Verse 11. Let the one who does wrongs still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Difficult wording here. Is he saying that the time is so short that no one will have a time to change their destiny? Is he saying that it is too late for one to surrender himself to the Lord's way? Or is he saying that each man uh, will do as he pleases and the Lord will not force anyone to follow his way? Homer Haley suggests that the world is divided into two classes of good and evil. And that individuals choose with which class he or she will be identified. As he chooses his course, he persists in traveling that path. He either practices sin, sinking deeper into his unrighteousness and moral defilement, or he seeks righteousness, rising higher and higher in holiness. And I'm going to leave it at that. Let me know if you have a better explanation there for me. All right. Verses 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, scholars have no consensus of opinion as to whether this coming refers to the second coming or another coming in judgment, perhaps against Rome. It seems to be spoken by Christ in his uh, description of verse 13, beginning uh, in the end, might indicate the ultimate destiny of all things. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Um, uh, the last of the seven Beatitudes, again, a reference seems to be point to the ultimate end of earth and the inaugural of the eternity, which will place the coming of verse 12. Verse 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and murderers and adulterers and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears says, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord God, uh, Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Sorry, I'm trying to finish up here because I'm running out of time, but let's look at these verses. So Jesus signs his name there in verse 16 to the authenticity of the book. The morning star announces the coming day here and the eternal day. Verse 17, the spirit that spoke through the prophets and the seven churches 
You have the bride, that's God's people in the church. Now, you might see here the word, the spirit speaking, and the church urging folks to come to Jesus or urging Jesus to come and bring his bring history to a close. Uh, one should ultimately see here the final call to those who are lost, that are thirsty, as being made now uh, and as made through the word of God and, and the church. There, there's, no, there's not going to be any other call for the lost than that which is presently being issued. This is it. You better accept it now. Nothing else is coming. Verses 18 and 19 seems to be Jesus continuing to speak, like in verse 16. This book is to be accepted as scripture. It has the stamp of God in Jesus so as to not be tampered with. Just like in Deuteronomy 4, 2, 12, 32, Proverbs 30, verse 5, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Same here in the book of Revelation, verse 20. This, there is an ultimate and final end of all things when Jesus comes. And when he comes, it's going to be swift. It's going to be fast. And so John adds an amen to Jesus' promise to coming. He speaks for all those enduring the hardships of this realm for the sake of Christ and who are ready to receive what Christ has promised. And then verse 21, a final benediction. The grace of the Lord is pronounced upon the saints who face unspeakable hardships. And that brings the book to a close, and we finally made it through all the revelation. I appreciate you being here. I encourage you to go to www.nvcoc.net. Click on that radio mic. You'll find this program and all the previous. I'm going to put all the revelation into one little recording group there for you as well if you ever want to go back and study that. And remember, just use this only as a help. That's all these are. These are some thoughts and ideas mainly from Brother Guy Orbison Jr., some of my own and others as like Homer Haley and uh, uh, Hendrickson. But use these as helps. See that the book of Revelation is a book of encouragement. It's not something to be scared of. Take a look at it. Read through that. you got a new year coming. Start a, uh, a Bible reading uh, pro, uh, program. Read the book of Revelation. Have your notebook there and take notes. And folks, uh, thank the Lord for the, the previous year and pray to the Lord that he may give us time to make right the things we have wronged and have time to speak to those who have not come to an understanding of his word so that we may bring his truth this next 2020 next year. What a blessing. May the Lord be with you and have a happy new year. Amen. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.